on this week's Devils in the Details, a special episode where we deep dive into two new special signings in Mason Mount and Andre Onana. We wanted to give you the best answers, so we invited the best people on. Orlando Valman's going to help us with Mount before Mark Geshwin gives us the overview on Onana. We're going to discuss who is Mason Mount and what has been his career trajectory to date. Where is he going to play for United and how well suited is he to that role? And as for Andre Onana, as a goalkeeper, how much is he going to change the way United play compared to last season? Before we get started, I'm going to give the audience a quick overview of the situation we have here. In the first half, you're going to have me. I'm joined by Orlando Valman right now. Orlando, you can say hi to everyone. Hi, guys. Orlando is a not only Chelsea fan, but also Chelsea youth specialist. So he's been watching Mason Mount since probably he was in his teen years. Um, and so I'm so lucky to have him here to help us talk about this because he's going to do a way better job than Case and I ever could. And then in the second half, Case is going to be interviewing Mark Geshwind, uh, who's a big Ajax fan. In particular, he's seen Onana play for Ten Hogs Ajax, so he's going to be able to give us great insights on that end. But we'll start with you, Orlando. How are you? And yeah, welcome to Devils in the Details. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. It's great to be on. I mean, you guys have been doing amazingly, so yeah, really happy to be here. Thank you for having me on. Uh, I mean, we're going to start with a question that takes us all the way back to the start for Mason Mount. We know Cobham is one of the most productive and esteemed academies in football, and yet not many players from Cobham actually make it into Chelsea's first team. So I'm going to ask you to tell everyone about the first time you watched Mason Mount, um, and then the first time you began to believe he would actually make Chelsea's first team as he would go on to do. The first time I watched Mason Mount, that is a good question. I think, I mean, it would have been in the under-18s um, a long time ago. I think probably playing in the FA Youth Cup, um, which was a competition that while Mount was in the academy, Chelsea were kind of the club who would win the FA Youth Cup year after year. Um, I think they set a record for the most FA Youth Cups won consecutively. Um, or it might be a record, actually, that they share with United, I think. But, yeah, he... Back in the academy, he was a different player to how he's seen today, at least. Um, he was very silky. He was a dribbler. He was kind of the creative number 10, the heartbeat of the team. And and obviously, Chelsea were, at that time, uh, were a team or an academy team who massively dominated games, massively dominated possession, even against the best opposition. And Mount was kind of the at the heart of all of that. And I remember watching him and just thinking wow this guy plays like not not what you would think I, like this guy plays like a kind of an Iniesta or like a Fabregas like a really silky midfielder who, who's like kind of string string things together um when I first started to think he could make it at Chelsea I think I would have to say when he went on loan to Vitesse Arnhem um which was his first loan his first sort of foray into senior football um, and the first few months he barely got into the team and he, um, people were saying, is he going to come back? Is he going to cut his loan short? And there have been stories that have come out now of him saying, like, I think his dad wanted him to come back and he said, no dad, I'm, I'm fine. I'm going to get into the team. I'll be good. Um, and he ended up, 
winning their player of the season. I think he broke into the team around November time. Um, and he didn't look back and he was amazing. He was one of the best best young players in Europe that season, um, the 17-18 season. And that was just, well, it wasn't a surprise as such, but it was really, really impressive because um, that loan from the Chelsea Academy to Vitesse Arnhem is one that is very well trodden, but not necessarily successfully well trodden by everyone who has made that step. Um, and he's probably the most successful player who's who's been on that loan and he came back to England and then uh, decided to join Frank Lampard's Derby County um, in the championship which I think was a really smart decision because he probably could have been playing at a higher level potentially in the Premier League or in one of Europe's top five leagues that season but the championship as a division offered a lot of things that his game lacked um, so he was as I said he was very technically proficient very very tactically good, very, you know, he was, all the things that we see in his press and his positioning nowadays, he had that from a very young age, but he didn't quite have that grit and that bite. He was still kind of an academy player at heart. Um, and in the championship, he really, he played quite deep in midfield. He played like on, as an eight in a diamond most of the time. Um, and he was really, he really develops kind of his all round game more. He got much stronger defensively. And he developed into someone who evidently was going to play in the Premier League the following season. But I don't think anyone really saw happening what did end up happening, which was that Frank Lampard was then appointed manager of Chelsea and then said, Mason, come play for me. And then he was one of Chelsea's best players that season. Before we get into his time at Chelsea, I I really want to dig into some of the stuff you said there. Um, Firstly, you kind of spoke about how he played as kind of like a number 10, I guess, in Chelsea's youth setups. But I know you and I have talked a lot about um, how Chelsea's youth setups are kind of fluid in the in the types of formations they play and how they equip players to play in the first team. So were you always kind of of the belief that he would be a number 10? Or did he play different positions throughout his time in the academy or maybe at Vitesse or, or Derby County um, that made you suggest that or, or made you think that he might not actually be a number 10 and he could actually be a, you know, the versatile player that we saw when he was playing under Frank Lampard at Chelsea. Well, I think the thing is with number 10s, especially these days, is that you really have to be like technically the very best player on the pitch, especially when it comes to ball control, ball mastery, um, taking on opponents, that kind of thing. Um, and in the academy, Mount was kind of almost always one of the best players on the pitch so he didn't really have to worry about that and he he could take on any defenders but then I think as his senior career developed it became clear that those things weren't necessarily his greatest strengths and I mean he is very very technically proficient but that's more seen in his ball striking and in his he's really good at using few touches to to complete an action and he's very he's very very slick with what he does but I think in terms of dribbling in terms of beating opponents one-on-one that's not necessarily his greatest strength and I think especially when he went on his loan to Derby and we saw him play deeper in midfield um, I think it, it became more clear that while sort of that creative number 10 putting the strings while that was still evidently going to be a part of his game throughout his career there are also many other strings to his bow and I think 
um, his midfield pressing is arguably his greatest strength. And that's something that really came to the fore when he was when he was in the championship. I mean, I personally sort of around that point developed the view that he's probably better suited to playing a bit deeper in midfield. Um, I think his best role is as a number eight. But having said that, he is that player who really can do a job sort of anywhere that's not in defence, really. I mean, number six is a bit of a stretch, but he can play pretty much any midfield position. He can play on the wing. He did play on the wing quite a lot for Chelsea um, and, and was pretty decent. And and of course, he can still play in that number 10 position. So his versatility is a strength, but I also think it is perhaps what has led to him becoming um, maybe underrated by some or maybe I think I think it hasn't necessarily been the best for his reputation on the wider level because he hasn't been able to kind of get that string of games um, in the same position for a long time and really show what he can do. I mean, he did a bit under Thomas Tuchel, but that was not for the most, let's say, appealing to watch Chelsea team. Yeah, it's interesting that you say number eight is his best position. It's something that I've believed for a very long time as a big fan of Mason Mount. But um, as you strongly imply, you know, his best form uh, in I'd say in pro football, um, came under Thomas Tuchel when he was kind of playing in a front three. We we talk a lot about pressing and, you know, uh, the biggest and best things that players can have in a pressing system um, are the intelligence to follow complex instructions and the athleticism to be able to execute them at a high level. Um, and I think I would probably safely say Mason Mount has both of those things in great measure but I think where many people may have more questions about his ability is what he actually does with the ball at his feet how do you think that his abilities on the ball allow him to play both as a number eight and in really advanced roles like the one he played under Tuchel I think Tuchel was conscious of the fact that as I said, he's not that mazy dribbler. He's not that guy who's going to d- create magic in in short space in in small spaces. You mean that creatively, to be clear? Yeah, 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 exactly. But what he is going to do creatively is he's going to pass very, very well in between the lines. He's going to switch the ball. I think one of his best things that he does on the ball is before that final pass. I kind of touched on it a moment ago. He completes actions really quickly, so. He will receive the ball always with whatever angle is best suited to the situation. So whether that be on the back foot, on the front foot, uh, with his back turned, his decision making is is excellent. So if there is an opportunity to thread a pass through, he will take the appropriate amount of touches in order to play that pass at the right moment. But equally, if that pass isn't on, he will still use it, the option of it being on in order to create something else elsewhere. And I think Tuchel used him really smartly in that he was kind of, um, he, he, he was that guy in the final third who, through whom everything ran, but in few touches. So he would get the ball and lay it off. He would get the ball and switch it. He would get the ball in the box and score one touch. And I think, his efficiency, I think efficiency is the word that I would use to describe him the most as a player, really. Um, and I think he may not always be the most aesthetic with what he does on the ball, but it's really, really effective. 
Yeah, you talk a lot about efficiency, and I find that really interesting because I think a lot of the public perception of Mount is that he's a player who's a little bit wasteful. In particular, I'd say wasteful on the ball in creative areas. And I think that's led to perhaps a little bit more reservation than the two of us have about whether Mount can actually play deeper, which I think he he is going to play deeper for the most part for United um, than he did for Tuchel's Chelsea. Um, how much do you think that's a that's a product of misconceptions of his game and how much do you think that's a product of you know him being able to adapt uh his decision making based on the areas of the pitch in which he ends up on the ball and the types of teams that he plays in because I think I personally have seen very different Mason Mounts in the matches that I've gone and watched where he actually did play deeper in terms of the types of risks he takes uh and the types of passes he selects in particular well I think to be fair what you said just there about how he changes the amounts of risks he takes based on where he is on the pitch I think that's that's completely accurate I think the times that he did play as a number eight um most mostly under Frank Lampard in his first stint as manager his creative game came much more to the fore I would say than actually when he was playing higher up the pitch because he had more space on the ball he was able to turn on it he was able to um, showcase his wide his his wide passing range a lot more. Well, basically, I think he's not very suited to playing in tight spaces. Um, and when you're forced to kind of make decisions quickly and um, take risks um, that you may not necessarily want to take, I think that is potentially what's led to this perception of him as as more wasteful than I think he actually is. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, you know, I th- I think a lot of the context of, of doubt about Mount at United is, has to do with decision making in tight spaces and, and the ability to play deep. So in particular, I think the midfielder we've seen United linked with most to come in and play this role that Christian Eriksen was playing last season uh, was obviously Frankie de Jong, a player who's known for his ability to play in tight spaces, receive under pressure, carry out of it. Um, and so I went and watched a bunch of Mason Mount matches uh, where he played in in sort of deeper central midfield roles. Most of the matches were under Lampard. I think there were one or two under Tuchel. Um, and what I found was he doesn't quite face up to the press as much as uh, as someone like Frankie de Jong, but he is able to, for the most part, navigate tight spaces and, and difficult situations in deep areas uh, without being a problem for his side. How good would you say you think Mount is at the the part of the game that's concerned with getting the ball from the deeper areas of the pitch, uh, particularly against sides that that press really high, and and getting out of those areas and getting into advanced areas, because I think that's going to be something that Ten Hag looks to task him to do relatively often at United. Yeah, to be clear, when I said I think he's not so suited to playing in tight spaces, what I really meant was you know in the final third when you're kind of swarmed by defenders yeah. when you don't have space to turn on the ball, but I think. In, in deeper areas on the pitch, I think one of his greatest strengths is that he's really, really aware as a player. And I think that leads to him being very proficient at creating space. And so when he's, when he's tasked with, as you said, progressing the ball from deeper areas in the pitch, I think he may not you know, be able to do that classy drop of the shoulder that Frankie de Jong does so often that kind of thing but he's very clever at whether he's as I said whether he's going to take it on his front foot or back foot whether he's going to play a one-two whether he's going to just kind of delay for a slight second longer and then move it and I think 
he has a lot of variety to his game that he maybe hasn't been able to showcase. I, I certainly think one of my biggest, my strongest opinions on Mason Mount in general is that we have not seen the full Mason Mount yet in senior football because of how much he's been moved around, because of how many different roles he's had to play. And also because, you know, he's still young and he's still developing. And yes, he's played many, many senior minutes. But I think this move, um, playing in Ted Hag's team, playing deeper on the pitch, could potentially allow him to actually showcase a lot of what we did see in his game in the academy, as I was saying, kind of running games, popping up all over the pitch. And now he's seen more as like someone who does his best work off the ball, someone who kind of is great at kicking the ball, but not so good at running with it, that kind of thing. Um, I think that's, it may be an accurate description of what he showed in his Chelsea first team career, but I don't think it's necessarily an accurate description of what he is as a player full stop. And I think it's something that we could see at United. Yeah, and that's a big reason why I wanted to get you on the podcast, because I think you have a wider vision of him as a player than just the teams where he's had the sort of highest viewership. Um, and so I guess straight up, I'll ask you, like, do you think his best position from what you know about Ten Hogs United would actually be that role that Christian Eriksen's been playing? Or would you say you'd still think he'd be more suited to what Bruno's doing? I think he would be well suited to what Bruno's been doing. Don't get me wrong. And I think maybe like right now in this moment, he might be better suited to what Bruno's doing. But if we're talking about um, what he is better suited to in the abstract, so with experience gained in that position um getting more familiar with it i think he has a higher ceiling in that deeper position i think he will be able to uh show more variety in his game he will be able to really kind of i think one of the criticism one of the fair criticisms of him um at chelsea when he was playing higher up the pitch is that he he didn't always show up he drifted in and out of games quite a lot um he did not play well necessarily every game, especially in this season just gone. I think if he's getting more touches of the ball and if he's more involved in general, I think he's more likely um, to be more consistent. I mean, he'll always give you hard running. He'll always give you excellent pressing. He's he's very consistent off the ball, but on the ball, he can be... Yeah, his quality can sometimes dip. Um, but I think if he's more involved in games and if he's really kind of one of the main focuses when playing out when when building um i think he could really grow into a player who kind of is the heartbeat of the team that sounds really promising to me i feel like with christian erickson one thing that was definitely a concern was um the physicality definitely definitely played when united were trying to press uh, erickson obviously can't really press the way a player like mason mallet or even fred can but also, I think another dimension that was added to the team when Fred was playing was his movement in the final third. And watching Mason Mount, especially now that I've gone and dug deeper and watched a couple of matches where I just watch him, I'm stunned by how good his movement is off the ball, uh, both in deeper areas and in advanced areas to facilitate um, his team being able to progress the ball, him being able to receive the ball, and even to get, in, uh, get on goal-scoring chances as sort of like a secondary runner in the final third. How how big of an element of his game do you think that is? Yeah, it's massive. I mean, the first thing I would say is, well, I've already alluded to how sort of intelligent a player he is and how aware he is, but he's very sort of considerate and thoughtful and selfless, I would say, in the movements he makes. He is very much a team player. 
he's not someone who's going to say, pass to me, pass to me, I'm in a great position. He's much more likely to make a run that's, you know, dragging a defender out of position or that's um, sort of um, creating a hole in the opponent's defensive shape. Um, and equally deeper down the pitch when when building, he is really intelligent at evading his marker at um, creating space at you know coming close just to lay the ball back off to create space behind him I mean these are not you know groundbreaking things but they are things that he's very proficient at and they're things that he yeah I think he maybe even does without thinking I think he's very kind of um very he's a natural at at kind of understanding where to move on the pitch and understanding how to hurt the opponent with movement so I think, yeah, thinking about how he will do that from a deeper position when attacking, I think everyone always makes that somewhat lazy comparison of him um, being, you know, the the guy who scores goals late run into the box like Frank Lampard. But it, it is also somewhat accurate, and I think he could, he can pop up with a lot of goals. Another thing to add um, in terms of, well, not necessarily goals, but his set piece is generally a very, very good, and I know that's something that, that was for a large part Ericsson's responsibility at United uh, especially corners his corners are really good yeah I watching him I I love that that sort of routine where he tries to find the guy at the top of the box and he's able to strike it with such um, like I, I don't think Ericsson has that sort of hit in his locker where he can kind of drive it but also get it off the ground a little bit so that the ball arrives quickly enough for the receiver to get a shot off, but also uh, high enough that it it gets past any blocking defenders. I, I find that corner so impressive, and he and he takes it a fair bit. I feel like that's something that he's really excellent at doing because, yeah, it takes a kind of certain type of ball strike, doesn't it, to get that? Because you need quite a lot of power to get there before it, you know it can't be too floaty, otherwise someone will just pick it out the air yeah and it's not just power it also has to kind of slow down a little bit as it's arriving Mm. at the player I think Paul Pogba was someone who is really really good at that where he could like fizz the ball long distances really quickly um and it's something even a lot of top midfielders can't really do so it's I find it pretty cool that Mason Mount seems to be able to yeah absolutely and I think that's just one facet of I mean ball striking is one of his greatest assets um he's really one thing that I think he's really good at doing is he is choosing what kind of way to kick the ball based on the situation. So often you see things where midfielders will be able to execute the pass, but they'll choose the like the wrong type of ball strike and it will just kind of have the wrong type of spin on it or it'll be slightly overhit. But I think he's really good at choosing whether he needs to use his laces, whether he needs to put more power, whether he needs to... He, he likes passing with the outside of his boots sometimes, and I, I like that as well. He's very good off his left foot as well. I mean, something that we shouldn't take for granted. Not every midfielder is is good with their weak foot. Um, and I think especially in deeper positions uh, when playing out, that is very useful. I, I guess there's one more area of his game that I really want to touch upon here. Um, so we talked a little bit about out of possession in terms of pressing, um, kind of being on the front foot um, and and stepping into advanced situations uh, and being able to both read opportunities where you can win the ball and also hold the structure of the team. And we said that that's a thing Mason Mount is really good at. Um, I want to know if you kind of have a good idea of what he's like in situations where he has to be the one to hold position and maybe you're in a defensive transition and he has to delay. 
Um, so one thing United do in, we had our rest defensive podcast this week. And one of the things United do in possession is they kind of alternate which players they send forward. So in some cases you find that Christian Eriksen is actually a player who will end up staying back um, and being an option on the ball, but also there in the event that the team lose the ball and the other team are on an attack. Do you think that could be a problem for Mount uh, getting into situations where he kind of has to respond um, by making really good defensive decisions and possibly even things like tackling or intercepting? I don't think it's something he has to be amazing at, but I, I think with a player who has such an attacking background at senior level, I guess I, I wonder how he might deal with situations like that. I mean, what I would say is I think it could be a problem if he encounters it in like the first couple of months in that system. But I think he's such an intelligent player um, and he understands, I mean, the reason he's been played in so many different roles by so many different managers and why he's been almost undroppable throughout is because he can take on instructions um, and he's he adapts himself to whatever he's asked to do. I mean, it's not something I think he's had to do before, for sure. Um, he's never really, he's always kind of been involved in the final third when the team's attacking. He, I don't think he's ever had to defend in a block at all, um, or at least in, in deeper midfield. But I think he, you know, I think I would, I think it's likely that he would be able to learn to do it relatively well. He definitely has the athletic tools. And yeah, I mean, watching yeah. his matches kind of earlier under Lampard where he played deeper, it felt like they probably didn't have as many sort of rest defensive principles or, or as as tightly yeah. a structured system for that as as what Ten Hag seems to be trying to do at United. And so I guess I was just curious, that felt like a lapse in uh, in my ability to sort of evaluate what he might be able to do while, while scouting. Yeah, I mean, I think the Chelsea team, I mean, <laughs> that team just relied on superhuman N'Golo Conte to snuff out anything in transition. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think... I think Mount, he can be that player because he, I mean, he has good anticipation skills. I think he understands when he needs to hold off someone. He's certainly not afraid to make fouls when he needs to. And I think he's also someone who's eager, always eager to add new strings to his bow. I mean, since he broke into the first team at Chelsea, he's developed massively as a player. He's 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 gone from someone who was relatively one-dimensional as a, as a midfielder uh, to someone who is really kind of well I wouldn't say complete but he's he's got a lot of variety to his game and as I said I think there's more variety to come um, and I think you know this this could be a part of it for sure. Um, I think most of what we've talked about has mainly constituted his time under Lampard, Tuchel and a little bit before that uh, but I think a lot of United fans do worry that you know Mason Mount is joining off the back of a season that definitely wasn't his best um, how much do you think this last season is concerning for, for Mount going forward? Do you think he's fundamentally changed as a player? Or do you think it was just a bad environment that, that led to him struggling to, you know, produce his best? I mean, I'm just thinking now and I'm struggling to name a single player who had a good season for Chelsea last season. Um, so, I mean, there were some young players who came to the fore a bit more, who who made their name. Um, which was great for them. But I think almost every single one of Chelsea's more established players um, did not perform well. And that can't be a coincidence. You know, it was chaotic. It was absolute havoc. There were three, um, arguably four different managers 
um, across the season, if you count the one game managed by Jordan Love after Tuchel was sacked. So, yeah, I think, I mean, he also really suffered from injuries last season. He didn't play nearly as much as he has done. Um, and to be honest, that is something that I would see as a lot more worrying than his form on the pitch, because one of the great things about him in his senior career and in the academy really was that he was almost never injured. He was a very, very durable player and he did play an insane amount of minutes. I think he played the most minutes for Chelsea um, during Lampard's uh, time at the club and potentially during Tuchel's time as well. He played loads for England. I think it probably came to a point where it was all too much for him and then he started getting all these recurring injuries, little niggles that kept him out here and there and he was really unable to kind of start consistently uh, consecutive games. Whether that is a problem going forward, I have no idea. But to be honest, if I were a United fan, that's what I would be a lot more concerned about. Than his ability to actually produce when he is fit. Exactly. Right. All right. Seems like we have a pretty good idea of Mason Mount. We've talked about out of possession, his ability in the press, some of his finer abilities on the ball, um, his passing technique, how he broke through his creative ability, defensive strengths. More of a holistic question to kind of slowly bring this all together. And this actually comes from Case. How good do you actually think Mount is? We often have two conversations on this podcast, one being about the value of players in roles that make the most of their skills, and another about the value of raw quality. Um, And I'll add on to that by saying I think United are in a place where they're back to being a pretty good team, but in order to be a really good team, they need to have some of the best players in the Premier League. Um, what are your thoughts about Mount's raw quality? Is this a player you see as capable of being a water carrier uh, or even a key player for a title-winning side? And do you think that's his likely role at United? Or do you think it'll be something else? I mean, this is a really hard question to ask because I always struggle with the concept of like goodness. Like, How do you really quantify how good someone is? Am I supposed to say he's world-class? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of less looking for an arbitrary uh, yeah. term, but more maybe like, you know, how do you think he compares to other... If, if we say his best position is number eight, and he's going to play something close to his best position for Ten Hogs <laughs> United, um, how do you think he compares relative to the state of the rest of the talent um, in the Premier League and in Europe in that position? I think he... Well, I think he's very good. I think he's... I think he could be certainly a member an important member of a title winning side. Personally, I think his best role at United will be in that as a number eight in that sort of double pivot next to Casemiro or whoever it is. Um, I think that's not quite his best role in the abstract. I think his best role would be as the most attacking number eight in a midfield three. Um, So like a four, three, three rather than more like a two and a one. It kind um, of is, for the record, but he wouldn't be the most okay. advanced. Bruno would still probably be more yeah. advanced than him. So, Okay, so I don't think it's absolutely his best role. But as I said, I don't think he's a player for whom that really matters that much. I think as long as he gets consistent minutes in the same role and he's really allowed the time and space to develop his understanding of that role and kind of get um, get good performances going together, I think he can he'd definitely be a water carrier I think more than the water carrier I think he can be a really important contributor to a, a title winning side because he's got 
all the, I mean, this is such a cliche, but it is true. He's got all the intangibles that you want from a midfielder. Um, he's really robust. He um, is uh, excellent off the ball. He never gets tired. Um, as I said, at least before this season, he rarely gets injured. Um, he's got immense quality on the ball. He's great at kicking it, <laughs> which is one of the most important things in the game of football. Um, so I think at Chelsea as well, he was very prolific for a midfielder. Um, I know he played was more of an attacker a lot of the time as well, but he got a lot, a lot of goal contributions. That's not something I think he gets enough credit for necessarily. Yeah, I think he will be... Well, first of all, I think he's a really good signing for United. But second of all, I think... I do think he needs to... As I said, he needs to get that um, consistency of uh, role and of minutes um, because I think that was basically what led him to not entirely fulfilling his potential, fulfilling his potential at Chelsea. Awesome. Orlando, thank you so, so much. This has been really, really great. And I genuinely... I could not have imagined anyone better to join us uh, on this very special occasion where United have signed Mason Mount. Um, I know you do stuff with scouted football. You know, you do a whole bunch of different things around Chelsea. So, yeah, we'll plug your Twitter. Um, tell our audience where they can find you and, and some of the stuff you're up to. And, and we can plug that too, maybe. Yeah, well, first of all, it was my pleasure to come on. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's been great. The best place to find me is um, my Twitter at... Orlandino, but the O is a zero and the I is a one. We'll, we'll put a hyperlink <laughs> in the description. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, if you're interested in more Chelsea stuff, um, which the likelihood of you being interested in that on a United pod is not necessarily that high, but if you are, it's at the Chelsea spot where I do most of my stuff. Um, we've got some good stuff going on over there. So yeah. We'll plug both your Twitter and the Chelsea spot in the description. We have a great listener base who... Uh, loves to keep tabs with their rivals, especially when they sell us great players. So <laughs> thanks again, Orlando, and hopefully we'll get an excuse to get you back on soon. My pleasure. Welcome back to Devils in the Details. It's time to welcome our second guest for the day, the excellent Mark Geschwind. Uh, Mark is one of the most avid Ajax watchers Aaron knows, and I know, uh, which means that he's the perfect guest to come on and talk no not only about Andre Onana, but how he fits into United's current setup. Mark, thanks for coming on to speak with me today. How are you doing? Doing well. Pleasure to be here. Uh, love listening to, to you and Aaron talk some United, because you guys have lots of our Lots of my IX guys, so you know, I've, I've, I've got to, I've got to get some IX content where I can. Um, but yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, we've become something of a B team for you guys, or I guess, I guess a, a double A team. I don't know how you put it. Uh, but yeah, uh, again, thanks for coming on. Uh, and you know what? Let's let's get straight into it. So, when would you say the first time you watched Andre Onana was? Uh, and well, what kind of impression did he make? Uh, if if you can remember, it's been a while, I'm sure. Yeah, I actually remember when he was just got signed and he was playing for Young Ajax. Um, so it would have been the 15-16 season. And at that point, I'm just getting my Young Ajax content by getting some Ajax YouTube highlights here and there. And I remember seeing this goalkeeper, hearing that we got him from Barcelona, and intrigued and started seeing him make some pretty impressive athletic saves in those highlight channels. So I remember thinking, all right, like 
this could be something. And then the, you know, next season he gets his opportunity um, under Peter Bosch and that really good team that ended up making it to the Europa League final and losing to, to your boys. Sad. I was actually there that day. Not, 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 not a, not a good memory, but uh, Onana really just like burst onto the scene. He was replacing Sillison at the time. And he very quickly, I think emerged as one of the best goalkeeper prospects in Europe. Um, it was funny. I was going back through um, some tweets today to like, just see, see the archive, see how I was talking about him. And I found a tweet from 2017 where somebody had just asked me, you know, what do you think about Onana? And I was like, really good prospect, super athletic, makes some great saves, good with his feet, not the best on crosses. Let's see how it develops. And honestly, that's played out pretty much exactly how his career has ended up going. I think the strengths are still there and some of the weaknesses are still there. So we'll be able to get into those. I think many who are familiar with Onana might realize how transformative he could be for this United side. But for those who haven't been following us from the beginning, I'm going to give a bit of background and then I'm going to jump into some more questions. Um, So quick overview of some of the stuff we've discussed about David De Gea, who obviously Onana is replacing this season. De Gea has obviously struggled a lot with playing out from the back. That's really been the key issue. Uh, You just touched a little bit, Mark, on the fact that Onana is very good with the ball at his feet. Uh, And I'm sure we'll get into that in a little bit. But De Gea had another problem, which was he was really just terrified to come off of his line. And that's where I want to start our conversation about Onana, because you said something kind of interesting now about his cross-claiming. So yeah, let's talk about Onana's sweeping ability, aside from his cross-claiming, and then let's talk about his cross-claiming a little bit. What is your impression of those two things? Is he willing to come off of his line? Is he effective when he does so? In terms of being willing to come off his line, you won't find many that are more happy to come off their line than Andre Onana. I'm sure you've seen lots of clips, and obviously you as being a, a, a part-time Feyenoord fan as well have seen Onana in the Eredivisie, um, but he loves to come off his line. He will sometimes come too far off his line to sweep, um, collect through balls, you know, and generally does it pretty gracefully, you know, not just booting it away, tries to keep possession where he can. So I think, to your point, Having also watched a lot of De Gea the last few years, I think that's an immediate upgrade. You know, you'll be able to play a much higher line, which will be beneficial. You know, you'll be able to press a little bit more easily and you have somebody who's a little bit more alert um, coming off his line and ready to sweep. And not only is he willing to do so, that's where you actually get, you know, it's rare that you're talking too much about like goalkeeper athleticism, but Onana's quite fast and, you know, he he covers ground pretty quickly. um, So he'll be able to, you know, eat up some of that space pretty quickly and, you know, make some slide sliding tackles, recover some balls, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, you know, for any United fans out there looking for one thing in particular to be excited about, I think that's, that's one, one immediate thing that I think many fans will notice. The next point coming about crossing, I wouldn't say he's bad necessarily. And he's certainly more, I think, willing. I think that was probably another issue that, that De Gea had. He was, he was a little bit planted on his line. He like loved to make saves. Um, but Onana, well, like I said, he's very ambitious. He likes to come out. He likes to try and make plays on the ball. He's a very like proactive goalkeeper in general. Sometimes that gets him into some trouble because I wouldn't say he's the best reader of crosses ever. And he isn't always the most authoritative when he's trying to come up and really claim them. He's not Courtois. You know, he's not necessarily... Emiliano Martinez, like he's not Nick Pope. He's not one of these like really big, strong, tall goalkeepers who really thrives in that area. He's athletic. He can jump high. He tries to make it happen. Um, and he certainly 
bold in doing so, which, which, you know, has its pros for the most part. Um, but I would not be surprised over the course of this season. And if you're going to see, you know, anywhere between three and six, just bad judgment calls, doesn't read the flight of the ball, gets caught underneath the ball, gets caught a little bit in no man's land and it leads to goals. And I think that's just kind of part of it. You know, De Gea's errors are more of like not being proactive enough. And maybe sometimes they're a little bit harder to detect, honestly. And with Onana's errors, you know, they have it. Um, so that'll be something that United fans have to get used to, I think, is just like embracing that a little bit. Um, I think that was certainly something Ajax fans had to as well, just like off the top of my head. 18-19 Champions League away at Benfica. Long throw comes in. Onana just comes storming out for it for, 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 for no reason whatsoever. He's nowhere near the, near the ball. And they, I think it was like Jonas or whatever, like turns it in. And Onana just says this like hilarious dive from like basically at the top of the 18, just nowhere near the ball. Terrible. And then a couple seasons later, 2021 Champions League away to Liverpool. This is the one I was going to ask you about. Yeah. Just ball floated over the top. He tries to kind of come for it. I think he also just loses sight of like where he even is in the box. He thinks no one's there. He basically just lets it go. I don't remember who ghosted in at the back post, but tapped it in and we end up losing the game. Those are the types of things that might happen. And I, and I think probably will happen, but you know, opportunity to improve. I think being in the Premier League and just seeing more crosses probably come into the box than he will have been used to um, in other leagues. You would hope he'd be able to improve on it. Um, but I think if there's one major deficiency, that's probably the main one. Yeah. So you just covered a lot there. For, for what it's worth, I, I'm totally with you on, on the cross claiming. But l- let me ask you a very specific question about it. On balance, do you think it's a pro, his, his cross claiming and his proactivity is a pro even with the gaffes? Or would you say you'd rather he, he just simply stay on his line a lot more often and, and be a more conservative keeper? That's a good question. That's like, I mean, I, I wish I had like gone back through and watched like all these Onana, <laughs> Onana games and like remembered how I felt in the moment. I feel like it's probably a pro. I think you and I probably have a similar view on modern football, modern goalkeeping. Like I prefer proactivity. Um, that is just something I think that lends itself to being a better goalkeeper, especially just in, in the modern game. Like, I just think you want your keepers to be making plays and not just being so reactive. I think more often than not, it's a net positive. Um, but it's tough because the errors are so obvious and you just cannot escape them. Um, but I think you see it like with Allison, right? Like Allison has so many errors himself and everyone would pretty much overwhelmingly agree he's the best goalkeeper in the world. So I think it, it's the pro and con with it. And, and to answer your question, Net positive, but it's a little it's a little bit close. At least during his time at Ajax, didn't watch him as much at, at, at Inter Milan. Would have expected that that's something that you improve. I think as you get older, you get a little bit more sensible and you know get a little bit better at judging the ball. Um, but overall, I still think a net positive. But he's got to be aware of it because in the Prem, there's going to be these teams like Newcastle that cross the ball at every opportunity, and like you've got to be ready. Um, so net positive, but we'll have to see. That'll be something he really has to to focus on as he. Uh, enters the prem yeah yeah totally agree I, I think what you said about his his errors are obvious in that capacity is really on the nose um this is a difficult thing to quantify because the players who don't come off their line it is really it's really difficult to watch a clip of a goalkeeper who doesn't come off their line and, and say he should have come off his line he could have gotten to that ball 
and and exactly how difficult it would have been to get to that ball, right? Because it's it's one thing to say there's a goalkeeper in football who could have gotten to that. Courtois could have gotten to that. And it's another thing to say you you would expect him to get to that. So it's it's a, it's a total, really complicated conversation. I think you're, you're, you're right on the nose there. It's sort of like players who are very safe in possession and don't ever lose the ball. It's hard to say they're ever like messing up because they're, they're not, they're not really, you know, but like, because that they're not playing more ambitious passes or trying to play like penetrating passes or trying to make like interesting dribbles to like evade pressure. They're actually, they might be a net negative, even though they're not really messing up. So I I think that's the thing that hopefully people understand with Onana is that yes, you're going to see some of the errors, but hopefully you recognize like the totality of what he's bringing to you is that net positive, but we'll see because you know, as you know, United fans, very fickle. A couple errors in the first few games, and who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's something I'm a, I'm a bit worried about myself. As somebody who has gone out on a limb and said some very positive things about Onana, I do think there's a there's a very big possibility, you know, especially I think it's likely that the side is going to be playing a higher line, going to be playing differently out of possession. I think there's a real risk that you're going to see, you know, Onana tried to do something, and, you know, just early on, it happens to be the, the time that it goes poorly. And if that happens in match week two, we kind of saw that last season with Brentford and the 4-0. I don't know if you saw you watched that match, but Lisandro got killed for it, for, for his, you know, he I think he got beat at a set piece at the back post. And people were making big conclusions about who he was going to be as a Premier League footballer on the basis of, you know, match week two. Um, and I think, I think Onana is another player who is liable to have that happen to him. But anyway, moving on, you also mentioned goalkeeper athleticism, which I think you brought up something really interesting that I want to talk talk about. And that was that Onana is actually fast for a goalkeeper. And, and I think this is like a really interesting topic of conversation, because like you said, this is not something you talk about with goalkeepers, but you, we do talk about sweeping and we talk about recovery pace for center backs, which is actually fundamentally a pretty similar concept, right? It's covering the same ground the distance between the the defensive line and your own goal, except you're covering it in the opposite direction. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I, th- I, I want to touch on this point a little bit more, like the fact that there's real value to be had there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, 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 it's like a, it's like a Rafael Varane type situation, right? Where it's just like, if you have pretty elite recovery pace or somebody like a, you know, Konate at Liverpool, you're able to play in such a way that, you can maybe push forward an extra yard or two if you're a center back and be aware that, you know, you can still cover the space in behind you. And that extra yard or two can help, you know, effectively squeeze a press. It can help you win the ball back. It can help you be more aggressive. And I think in the same way for goalkeepers, it allows you to play almost like a little bit more. There's two ways about it. You could play a little bit more conservatively in a way, knowing that you can be a little bit farther off your, uh, a little bit closer to goal, but recognize that you can still get to the ball if need be, if it goes over the top, if you're kind of playing both, both sides there. Um, but then also, you know, if you want to be incredibly proactive and play a super high line, you have a lot of trust in your goal goalkeeper that he can kind of move like side to side and he can cover the ground that you, that you need him to. And I think, it will be something that's quite apparent from the beginning is how it's almost like the best way to put it is that he's like comfortable being as like an outfield player. You don't look at him and kind of go like, oof, like get back in the goal. You know, when you see like Nick Pope, like run out and 
concede a red card to Liverpool when he like the only time he runs out of his box and he just looks so awkward. Like Onana like looks natural. Like you think that he could be like almost like a field player. He just has that type of like movement and speed and kind of like dexterity about him. So, I mean, it just gives a lot of versatility um, to the way that he can play the position and the way that United and Ten Hag can kind of like use him as like that last sort of piece of defense. Um, and also in possession, you know, you can trust the center backs to be a little bit higher up the field, like knowing that you've got somebody who can really cover the ground behind you. So it's just a, it's an interesting weapon. And I agree. Like, that's why it, it came to my head that it's like not very common that you talk about a goalkeeper's pace and athleticism, but with Onana, I think it's pretty apparent and it'll be interesting to see, you know, how, how, how beneficial it is, but I, I think it really is a, a unique skill. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. So you also, you touched earlier upon a mistake that Onana made uh, in 2021, but I think a, a key sort of part of his Ajax tenure, or at least uh, the basis for a question I want to ask you is the fact that he got suspended. I don't want to talk about the suspension. I don't want to talk about why he was suspended. What I do want to ask you is what do you think the side lost with him out of this, out of the team when he wasn't available? What difference do you think that made uh, between him and the couple of goalkeepers that they replaced him with? And then that we're going to transition from that to another question that I have. So first this one. Yeah, that was an interesting period. Um, and I think credit to the guys who stepped in. It was Stecklenberg and Pospier got some minutes and actually did quite well for the most part. But I think the most obvious thing that was lost pretty noticeably, but, you know, at the same time, it's the Eredivisie. We were dominating a lot of games, but the ability on the ball was pretty clearly dented. Um, with his departure, we just weren't able to build out as effectively. It was most noticeable in the Champions League. But given that at that time, we just had such a good functioning system that was kind of like the pinnacle of 10 hog ball at Ajax. Like we were just really functioning well. And we had like Lissandra Martinez and Blintz, like building up from the back wasn't like the biggest problem that we'd ever had. But there were definitely moments like Dortmund away. I can remember in the group stage before they got their red card. Like we were just under pressure. Posture couldn't really handle it. He just wasn't really you know, cut out to play the type of passes that we, that we hope, you know, we hoped our goalkeeper could make. And then the other thing I think we also lost was just like, God, I'm sounding like such a nerd, but like high XG, sh like shot prevention and like shot stopping, high XG shot stopping from Onana that like, I think is one of his most like underrated skills, skills is just that he is super athletic. Like I said, so he covers a lot of ground. He's like, he, he makes up the difference when like balls come across goal and he has to like get in front of them really quickly. Um, and there was a few goals that just got let in at that point in time that, you know, I think Onana would have dealt with. I remember he actually came back at the end of the group stage, played away at Besiktas and had like three or four saves on breakaways. And it was just so immediately noticeable. And I remember I went on to like one of the Ajax podcasts right after that game. And I was like, guys, I know everyone's mad at him. He's leaving on a free but you've got to play Onana. Like he is by far and away our best goalkeeper. You've got to give him a run in the team. He eventually came back into the team because Posfier and Stecklenburg both got injured. We had no real choice. Didn't work out too great in the end. Probably just, you know, wasn't super fit, wasn't super sharp. Mentally may not have been in it as much, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where could have been better off, could have ended his career a little bit better if maybe that suspension didn't happen. But a, a lot of things you're missing when, when Onana goes out. Yeah, so you just jumped like three of my next questions, which I can't tell if that's a good or a bad thing. But um, yeah, so, okay, let's talk about his shot stopping first, I guess. You mentioned 
the high quality chance saving, I'm totally on the same page. I think that's probably his biggest strength. Um, the 1v1s uh, co- covering really short areas in the box at a high speed. I think the reaction saves from close range are definitely a big strength of his. I personally think you thought of the Besiktas match. I think of the, the Chelsea 4-4. Um, a couple of crazy saves he made in the box I can remember. Um, yeah, that's a clear positive, I think, for him. I think he's also it's a clear advantage he has over De Gea. De Gea really struggled in short range 1v1s. Um, what do you make of his long range goalkeeping? His sort of his shot stopping from outside the box. Some people have raised some questions about this. I think he's also had some visible struggles with this on and off. Uh, what, yeah, what do you think of that? Think about that. Probably generally like average. I don't really remember being too upset with a goal going in, but at the same time, never really being like, wow that's an incredible save. Like you just denied a surefire goal. I don't know what it is. Maybe it has to kind of do with his, like we talked about the semi deficiencies with cross claiming that maybe sometimes it's like a positioning thing for him um, that he's just not perfectly positioned because you would think he's super, he should be super good at long range um, shot stopping in my opinion, because he's such an athletic guy. He can cover ground so easily. Um, but I don't know what it is. It's like maybe some sort I, I'm not, I'm no goalkeeper coach, but maybe it's some sort of technique thing. Maybe it's some sort of positioning thing. Maybe it's some sort of, you know, kind of like mental lapses a little bit in terms of like where he should be stationed in the goal. But I don't think it's anything to be too, you know, frustrated with. Like as an Ajax fan watching all those games, like I said, very rarely was there something like, wow, Onana, like what are you doing? Like how are you letting that goal in from 25, 30 yards? You know, never any, never too many of those like big sort of like howlers or anything like that. So Something to keep an eye on, but, you know, as the game evolves, Case, the shots are getting closer to goal anyway. Who needs to save them from long range? If they go if they go in the top corner, they go in the top corner. You just, you, you tip your cap and move on. We're not, we're not blaming Onana for those. <laughs> I'm, I'm broadly of the same, of the same opinion. Uh, as for technique, I'm not a goalkeeper coach either, but my speculative thought is with those long range shots, to the extent that I agree, I think he's probably about average. My theory is that he likes to use his his lower hand as opposed to his upper hand. When, you know, if he's diving to his right, he's saving with his right. When he's diving to his left, he's saving with his left. And that actually allows you less force when you're, for, less force and reach when you're getting to the ball. That is something I'm I sold. stole directly from John Harrison, who I think we've, we've <laughs> mentioned on, on this podcast a few times. Um, that's my personal theory. I don't I'm know sold. how much, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I figured I'd toss it in there. You mentioned his spell after he came back from suspension. I want to touch on that. You kind of already said all that needs to be needed to be said, but what, what do you think ex- explains the the, the drop off in in performances? Because I think it, there was a clear drop off. I was worried about him. I'm, I'm not going to lie. He's a player that I have a lot of affection for, despite him having played for Ajax for so long. Um, it was a weird one. Um, yeah, like you said, I was kind of alluding to it earlier. Um, I think it was a culmination of a lot of things, fan pressure, mentally being checked out, not playing for basically a full year, a lot of factors that played into it. But also at the same time, I think a lot of it was overplayed. Ajax fans, for those who don't know and don't follow, you know, many of them, 
can fall into the same traps as a lot of the big club fans, you know, those that are particularly vocal in the Manchester United's and Real Madrid's and Barcelona's of the world. We're the same way. You know, we're not, everyone like loves to paint us as this like beautiful club and we always do things so respectfully and everything like that. But fans really, really, really got on him. And I think a lot of it, maybe like 75%, I think was a little bit overblown. I remember defending him a lot. I'm very pro like player decision-making and if Onana wanted to leave, you know, he's entitled to do so. I don't think we should hold that against him. And um, I found myself, I think because I had that mindset of like, I don't hate this guy blindly for making a decision for his career that I think I was looking at things a little bit more objectively. And I don't think he was that, that bad. I think there were certainly some errors. There were certainly some shots that he maybe normally would have saved. There were some questionable decision makings, again, coming out on crosses. But it was a lot of things that we'd already seen with Onana. And I think it just kind of happened where you got like four to five to six errors in like a short period of time, right when he was coming back into the team off of suspension. So like everything was so amplified and like heightened with his performances. And there's a couple like vocal IX Twitter guys out there who were just like ripping him and everyone kind of picked up on it. But I think there's a lot of reasons that that could have happened. And I, and I don't, I don't think anything had to do with his actual ability as a goalkeeper. I think it was just a lot of the outside stuff. Goalkeepers, it's one of the few positions in soccer that is just so, and I should say football, that is so mental. It's just so mental. You're the, you're the one guy standing there. You're the guy that if you make an error, everybody knows it. Yeah. Uh, to your point about goalkeeper being a very mental game, I, I also think another thing about it that makes our perception of goalkeepers a little volatile, I'll say, uh, is unlike you know, a midfielder or a forward, they can't just get back on the ball after a mistake and try to make something happen and, um, you know, make amends. If you make a huge gaffe and you concede a goal, basically totally of your own accord, you can't just like induce another shot for you to save the game. (laughs) Like it's the kind of thing you just have to live with it, especially when you're playing for a big side, you're playing, you know, I don't you mentioned that I think a lot of people have, sort of have this pet view of Ajax as like, you know, everybody's second favorite club. It's a bit <laughs> ironic I think to, to to the Dutch populace, but regardless, Ajax is a very big side within the Netherlands. Onana was, you know, suffering from that. Goalkeepers at Ajax don't often get tested. They sometimes they'll go entire matches without really having to make a, a major save. Um, and so I think that plays into exactly what you're saying. Uh, you know, a couple high profile gaffes and you're not going to get to make up for that. You might not even get to make up for that in an entire season, uh, especially when yep. those, those mistakes come in the champions league against Liverpool. Um, for yeah. example. Um, and it's like if they snowball and you have, you know, let's say you have eight mistakes over the course of a season and all of them happen to fall within like a four week stretch it's going to be super overplayed. Everyone's going to see it. Everyone's going to be talking about it. And I actually distinctly remember during that period when everybody was really hating on him, it was the game when we beat you guys, Feyenoord, 3-2 uh, at the end of the season and your boy Anthony scoring the, scoring the winner at the end. And I distinctly remember he had like an unbelievable 1v1 save at the very beginning of the game. And I was like, that is Onana in a nutshell. Rebound comes out and Idrisi or whoever it was like scored the rebound. And it's just like, you know, I know exactly which one you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you go from one minute being like, oh, Onana's back, 
you're the savior, you know, you saved an unbelievable 1v1 chance to, oh, actually got put in the net because of no reason, you know, nothing that you did, you know, and all of a sudden everybody forgot that save. Nobody was talking about it. No one was like, oh, Onana's back. You know, if that had been like a game, you know, let's say we're winning 3-2, he makes that save in the 90th minute. Everyone's like, oh my God, Onana's back. Goalkeeper is a weird position to to talk about, to analyze. And I, I think that's what I put that little end of season post-suspension stretch down to, I think. Yeah, uh, I'm on the same page with you. We're, we're, we're agreeing a lot here, which is something we do often on this podcast. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. So we've talked about different aspects of his shot stopping. Would you say on balance, he's a good shot stopper just to sort of close this chapter off? Good, bad, average? I think, you know, if you're rating him out of 10, and what you're putting like Courtois at like a nine five, you know, in terms in terms of shot stopping. I think I'm giving Onana eight five nine. I really do think he's he's in that ballpark. Um, and I think there's no better sort of indicator than that than his stretch in the Champions League from 2018 all the way up through 2022. In my opinion, um, there was a graphic I remember that came out. I think it was just the first three of those four Champions League seasons, but it was basically. XG prevented. And I remember it was Onana all the way in the top right corner with Oblock, who at the time was just getting so many plaudits um, actually behind him. And I think that really says it all because his ability to save shots from really close range, 1v1s, he's super, super good at it. I mean, we were talking about some examples earlier. Go back and watch the 18-19 Ajax Bayern Munich 3-3 game at home. Great match. <laughs> and he had two saves on Lewandowski in that game that were just, how is he keeping that out of the goal? Just spreads himself. He's just athletic. He just gets in front of the ball and he just makes it happen. And that is a truly like an innate skill. I think he's in that Courtois conversation where Courtois makes these saves. I mean, like Liverpool Champions League final where you're just like, how on earth is he making himself so big and reading the ball in such a way um, that, you know, those are, those are massive, massive moments. And um, over the course of the season, those add up. And like we said, that's more important than saving the odd Julio and Cizo screamer in a, a way at Brighton, you know? So I, I, I think United fans will definitely be, I think, pleasantly surprised. And I, and I know it might be tough for some people because for all the that we give De Gea, I mean, he's a fantastic shot stopper and he always has been. And uh, I think Onano will do a nice job carrying on that legacy and hopefully adding to it, you know, with the, the, the multitude of other skills that we've talked about. Again, agreed. <laughs> I wish, I wish I could disagree with you about something so we would have a more interesting conversation. Um, to I think we can close the chapter on shot stopping to talk about his distribution one more time to get a little more specific. Cause I think we've just said, Oh, he's, he's very good at it. How do you feel specifically about his distance passing, his ability to, to hit players, you know, near the halfway line uh, with the ball on a line rather than just kind of lofting up, lofting it up to a big guy. I think a lot of people might, you could be forgiven for believing that it was just, Oh, he was hitting the ball long to holler. And then later it entered Jekko and Lukaku. And there wasn't a lot of skill in what he was doing. Um, yeah. What, what's your take on that? Essentially that's where the conversation almost starts and ends with Onana is just how good he is. Everything distribution related. Like, the, the the driven passes, both feet are so impressive. Yes, he's he's a goalkeeper. He's still going to have a few that sail over people's heads. He's still going to have a few that are too lofted, whatever it might be. You know, he's not he's not Javi Alonso in there. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's not always going to be perfect. But for a goalkeeper, I 
think probably him and Terstegen are probably top two in, in terms of the variety of distribution, the long passes, the keeping it low and, you know, having a pass that's your, you, you want to bring down and is easy to bring down and you're able to kind of continue your forward momentum. You're not really put under pressure immediately because you're giving time um, defenders the time to get there. And what's most impressive is he can do it with both feet. I think there's truly no better example than watching that Champions League final. Look at that cut up that got thousands of retweets. That was all over the internet. Just watch that. There's there's almost nothing else I can really say about that. The, 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 the variety of passes in that game, left foot, right foot, driven, breaking lines, hitting you know, center midfielders in tons of space clipped over the top of a striker. It's, it's, it's incredible. And I think that not only does he have the technical ability to do so, what for me is most important is that he just has like the mental capacity to want to play those passes. And he also has like the vision to see them. Um, So many goalkeepers, the pass is on. They either just don't, and, and maybe they see it, but they just don't trust themselves enough. They're worried about making mistakes. And that's where with Onana, you don't have to worry. That man is that man could not give not sure on confidence. <laughs> if, 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 he, if, he, if he makes a mistake. So as a result, you just get some of these passes that are truly, truly incredible. And I and I think, you know, to answer the original question, it's the the, the those little clipped passes over the top with the right pace on them, hitting them to you know, the fullbacks, center midfielders, does it all. So I think that'll be something. You get him in a preseason game. I can't wait. The first preseason game with Onana, there's gonna be a someone's gonna make a comp of it, and it's gonna have like fifty thousand retweets from all these United fans of just. They're saying he might passes. start this weekend. We'll see. That'll be that'll be the first comp coming. But yeah, United fans, that that's something to to truly look forward to. He's gonna be dribbling strikers. He's gonna be having yeah. fun. Okay, so <laughs> you actually you just brought up something that I want to talk about. Do you think he's? How do you feel about his decision making when under pressure? I. I think it's pretty obvious that he's quite composed, but do you think he's too comfortable taking on pressure? And I'm not imposing my own opinion on this. I'm genuinely asking, what do you think? Um, Is it somebody who's going to, you know, try to nutmeg nutmeg an opposing striker and and lose the ball (laughs) and give up an easy goal that way? Is this a, does he have multiple ways of making silly mistakes? It's happened, um, but not often. I can only think of one time in his Ajax career, not counting young Ajax, because I think it probably happened once or twice with the young Ajax, where he lost the ball trying to dribble somebody. I think it was his first season, maybe his second season. Um, but I think that generally says everything you need to know. I think he's calculated, confident. There will certainly be times where you might be a little worried. <laughs> it, might, it, might, it, might, it might almost happen. But um, for the most part, I don't think it would be anything to worry about. But like we said, that's the type of character he is. He's enigmatic. There's going to be some plays where you're like, oh my God, like what is going on? If one of those gaffes when trying to dribble somebody happens in the first five weeks of the season, it might not be so great. If it happens, you know, two years down the line into his career when everybody already loves him, no one will really think about it. But um, I generally think for the most part, his confidence is at, is at a good level and at a a level that you want in your goalkeeper where again we talked about this it's such a mental position like you want somebody who's really confident in their own ability um so i I think he treads that line but i think he generally stays on the on the right side all right yeah i 
again, I'm on the same page. <laughs> we'll go to our last question. Um, and this is something we, we actually asked our guest earlier today, Orlando, uh, about Mason Mount, United's other major signing this window. Uh, and the question is, is essentially this. How good do you think Onana is in the scheme of things? We, we often have two conversations on this podcast. One about the, the value of using players in roles that make the most of their skills. And then we have another about the value of just raw quality. Having great players who can break games open or, or play their own position at a really high level. Uh, roughly, how, how would you say Onana's skill set ranks compared to the best goalkeepers in Europe? Skill set certainly translates. You know, you're going to be most similar to your Allisons and your Terstegans of the world in terms of how he plays. I think full body of work, I probably put him in my top five goalkeepers in the world. I think you've got Allison and Terstegan and Courtois just purely because of the shot stopping ability. And then you're looking at a couple others, and, and Onana is probably in there. I mean, I remember tweeting a couple of years ago, like right after Donnarumma's incredible. Euro 2021 run when everybody thought he was the best goalkeeper on earth. I was like, I'm not trading him for Onana. Like I think Onana is a better goalkeeper overall. And, you know, as we've talked about a bunch, goalkeeping has morphed into something a little bit more new and much like center mids need to have kind of more expansive skill sets these days to be considered really good players. Goalkeepers fall into that same category. And, you know, you want players that, are most akin to the best in the world. And if you're looking at Allison, who in my opinion is the best in the world, Onana matches him stylistically. And I think is rightly or should rightly be in that conversation of like, you know, top five goalkeepers in the world, in my opinion. So I think it's just a really good, big upgrade um, for United. Ten Hag obviously knows how to use him. And um, yeah, if you're talking pure quality alone, I think not in that top, top tier yet, probably needs to figure out some more things on on crossing and, and and kind of up his consistency when it comes to that and, and we'll see that really tested this year in the Premier League but if he holds his own there I would have no qualms putting him in a in a top three with with him and maybe a Ter Stegen or maybe a Courtois or whoever you want to put in there but either way it's all about the tiers and I, I think he's he's rightfully in there and I think a lot of people will see that this season all right uh I think we've covered it all, Mark. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, really appreciate it. This has been great. Um, I hope you enjoyed yeah. being here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries. It was uh, it was nice to chat. Not over, you know, that bird app that we love so much. So getting to do it live was very fun. Um, very uh, privileged to come on here. And hopefully the next time I'm coming on here, it's not for another. IX player that's left and is no longer playing for my team. That's that's all Maybe I wrote. We'll give you someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give us give us a, who's the guy we wanted last year? Ethan Laird. Give us Laird. Or give us a give us Kobe Mainu or however you say his name. You can have that's him on loan. Yeah, he, yeah we'll, we'll take him. Well, that's what I was gonna say. I'm not, we're not we're not we're not greedy like you guys. We'll take him. We'll take him on a two year loan. We'll bring him right back. No problem. We need some midfielders. <laughs> Mark, one last thing. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Yeah, so much like these guys can find me on Twitter. Uh, my username is just at Mark Geshwind and uh, also run the EIF soccer page if you guys see some of those terrible opinions coming through your timelines. But uh, feel free to give either one a follow. Happy to always chat and interact with everybody. Awesome. Thanks so much again, Mark.
Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Devils ITD Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.